Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Real stories, real people, real hope. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-hostess with the mostest, my beautiful wife. Her name is just jen and you're along with us as we hawk some hope we're originators of optimism we're purveyors of positivity we are engineers of encouragement jennifer we are all the things what does that spell hope isn't that awesome yes well jennifer what is the good news today why are you calling me jennifer again i don't know What's up? Are you irritated? No, <laughs> not at all. Are you angry? No. Did I do something wrong? Are you in trouble? That's usually why you call me Jennifer. Well, I was just testing to see if you like responded to the Jennifer. If you responded, I'm like, uh-oh, what do I not know? You're in trouble. I don't know. You just haven't called me Jennifer <laughs> in a very long time. Tell me the good news. What's the good news? Yeah. Um... I'm going to Mexico. You are going to Mexico. <laughs> That's so, good news. You know what's funny about the good news? Yes. There isn't any good news, usually. We were just having this conversation. Oh, yeah. I think we should create a channel that is good news only. It doesn't have any bad stories, Mm -hmm. no hate, no problems, no discourse. It's just all good stuff. That's really a great idea. Why don't you do it? I think it was my idea. Was it? Yeah. Well, maybe it was. Well, you know, see, I'm just like Gavin. You got to present the idea to me. I've got to reject your idea. Hold on. You (laughs) got to present the idea to me. I reject it. Then a week later, (laughs) two weeks later, I make it my idea. No, no, no. Then I accept it. I, I, no, no, no. That's how it works. This was all my idea and it's called the Hope News Network. The Hope News. And what would we do on the Hope News Network? We would only talk about the happy things and the positive things that are going on in our world. Yeah. Like firefighters saving cats. Yes. Like those kinds of stories. Yes. People coming alongside others to give a helping hand. Yeah. Because we personally do not watch the news because it's such a negative place and we never want to go there. Yeah. See, we can't be hope dealers. We cannot do this watch the news no thank you so we have not watched news for five years so that's the secret yeah it is a very very if you want to be a hope dealer don't pay attention to the news no i mean i mean for the most part (laughs) i mean you need to know if we're like in a war or something like that i think you would know yeah that's how i feel like i don't facebook would tell you (laughs) facebook you get an alert from tmz on your phone and that's how you'd know yeah that's probably right (laughs) yeah all right you ready for funny time let's tell some jokes okay you gonna go first i I can go first if you want me to go go first okay so here's here's the question okay why do the french like to eat snails oh i know this because this is a food joke why do the French like to eat snails? You got three seconds. I don't three, know. It's something about two, escargot. One. Nope. They can't stand fast food. Okay. I knew that. I knew that. All right. What you got? I have seen that before. No. Yes. I was the first. No. What's your joke? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm not ready. Jennifer. I, I lost it. Hold on. We're waiting. Hold on. Ding, 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 No, hold on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, okay. I've been ready. It's going to be a good one. It's a banana joke, and you All know right. I love a good banana joke. All right, go. Okay. Why did the banana go to the hairdresser? 
Why would a banana ever go to the hairdresser? Peel, peels, peel hair, color, color hair, no, slip, no. I don't know why. Because it had split ends. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I like that I laugh at my own jokes. I like that you laugh at your own jokes, too. (laughs) They're funny to me. They're funny to me sometimes. I guess my jokes just aren't funny to you. Unless, if there's too many options for an answer, then you tilt. I think my thing with you telling jokes is I want to get it right so bad. So I like really process what the heck you're saying. This isn't a competition, (laughs) Jennifer. This is a hope show. This is a show on hope, not on competing. I feel like I want to win though. Jennifer. (laughs) I always want to be a winner in everything I do. You are a winner in everything you do. You don't need to keep trying at everything you do to be winners. (laughs) Because you're already winners. I'm already winners. (laughs) I'm all the winners. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, I got to tell you about a, an interview we're about to have. And okay. this is just an incredible, incredible interview. And mm-hmm. I, I, it's one of those things that every once in a while doing this show, there's moments where I really, really feel connected to what I believe God's called me to do. Mm-hmm. This interview is one of those. And I think it's powerful. I think it's um, extremely poignant. I think it's... It's vulnerable, and uh, we're going to bring on Melody Ann Streety, and we're going to talk to her about her life, and we're going to have her unpack it for us, but just suffice it to say that I think that this is a show that a lot of people can connect with. I think it's a show that is very much needed right now in in the realm of hope and forgiveness and overcoming shame and guilt and things like that. So I, I'm going to call Melody on mm-hmm. and I'm just going to let her unpack it for us. Okay. okay. You ready? Good. Yeah. All right. Here, let me get her online. Here we go. All right. I've got Melody and Streety on the line. Melody, welcome <laughs> to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you? Hey, I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is absolutely our pleasure to talk with you. We're super excited to do so. And so for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you call home? Where are you living at right now? What's what's the weather like? All that good stuff. Okay, well, right now I call home Naples, Florida. I've been here for five years. And prior to that, I've actually been in Florida 13 years, but I am a native Texan transplanted to Florida. Oh, do they allow that in Texas? Do they allow you to leave to go to Florida? (laughs) Yeah, I have two passports. No, I I actually, um, yeah, I knew as a little kid growing up in Texas that I I didn't want to be the Texan that wanted to live and die in Texas. So I say that very, very quietly, but I was just too... uh, adventurous and curious about the world and um i've lived in colorado and washington dc and uh, now florida so almost a full circle what's your favorite (laughs) of all those places that you lived what's your favorite thus far gosh man there's just so many wonderful memories and aspects of each place but i uh, as far as like life and transformative kinds of things i would say washington dc was just really amazing and uh magical in that sense but i have to claim texas my home state is yeah yeah see that's that's i was curious about that because (laughs) yeah the the climate is awesome but i was curious about that only because you know like like we talked to our four boys so jen and i have four boys and so like they Uh they you know growing up they didn't like the foothills they didn't like the trees they didn't like the mountains and then now the older they get 
it's kind of funny yeah. how they start to appreciate the mountains and the trees and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I just think there's something about where you grow up that, that never leaves you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely claim the, the, the childhood years and development years in Texas and all the things I remember growing up. If I was being a little more selfish and like, hey, love the climate and life right now, I Florida is a really sweet life and um, where I live, they call paradise, you know, like you guys would call certain parts of California paradise. Yes. But I, yeah, I love Florida too. That's why I think they call it my Florida on our license plates here. I was <laughs> 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 like, it's, no, it's my Florida. It's, it's, like, my, no, it's Florida. my Florida. Oh, my that's Florida. awesome. That's great. Um, well, so. I know, uh, you know, we're, we're gathering together today to talk about the subject of hope and offline. Yeah. You shared some of your story with me and I was just mm-hmm. riveted talking to you and was mm-hmm. eager and excited to have that conversation again for the benefit of the, of the listeners that we have. And so I'll let you start mm-hmm. at wherever you'd like to begin, but I know you got a story of hope. I know you got a story of faith. And so let let's begin where you want to begin. Okay. Um, thank you for sharing that. Gosh, I think what I'll do is I'll begin with where the Lord, where I really met the Lord in the middle of just a deep, deep, dark pit of despair and hopelessness, which surprised me because I think as a kid growing up and being the youngest of four and an only girl, I was always curious and happy and joyful and just into many things, you know, in terms of my imagination as a kid. And so I always, you know, I think I would say my head was always in the clouds, like nothing would ever get to me or affect me in terms of things that might happen in life. And so I... And did you, did you have a good childhood? I mean, did you have a good family, good parents? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful for my upbringing, my mom and dad. Um, I would say, you know, my dad was really the measure of grace in our home, like just such a gentleman's gentleman and a great provider and leader and protector and just an amazing man. And uh, definitely had that kind of special father-daughter, you know, relationship with him. And I had three older brothers. And my mom was just really a wonderful homemaker mom, always where she needed to be for us and provided for us. So it was a a really great and magical childhood from that standpoint, like having both parents and school and life and youth and just all kinds of things going on that um, it was, yeah, it was a great upbringing and school was great friends, like really no issues. If let's say <laughs> no, no major <laughs> really, uh, childhood trauma emotionally or physically no, or anything no like that. Traumas. And if there were traumas there, I, we probably didn't know, the full story or what was going on in terms of things being buffered or protected from that until much, much later we would hear some of those stories that impacted our parents, but not us so directly until later. Yeah. And so you were saying so yeah, about, uh, <laughs> yeah, your, your, your life and, and where you want to begin is when you met the Lord. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that time of your life and what was going on. Yeah. So I, you know, I had been a good Kind of kid, like I was raised in church and just was always in church my whole life and thought that I really knew and understood about God's love and His love through Jesus. You could say that I was religious and just had that kind of a belief that God was there and present and that Jesus was the reason for that relationship. But I was always taught to be like this very like responsible, dutiful, follow the rules kind of kid. So I think my perception of God was 
Well, if I just follow the rules, I'll stay out of trouble <laughs> or there won't be consequences. Jen is pointing and the so finger I at was... herself. She's saying that, that is that you? Is oh, that yeah. How? I follow all the rules. <laughs> Jen, Jen does not yeah. like breaking rules. I want to get to the shiny gates and God says, yeah. you were so perfect. You listen to everything. <laughs> <laughs> you win. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to win. Yeah. Well done, my child. She said that to me. My, well done, yeah. my good and faithful servant. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Faithful, obedient. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, so I was was all about that because I think what I was discovering is, well, if I can just stay out of trouble, keep my nose clean, follow the rules, that nothing bad will happen to me. At least that's what was demonstrated in my immediate, you know, family life, school life and all that. I was a good rule keeper and things were going great. You know, straight A's, things that I wanted I asked for I would receive and going to a great school and just great relationships everything was great nothing absolutely nothing was majorly wrong at all and then life went you know off the rails in my early 20s and the decade of my 20s was you know when you leave college and you've got the whole world in front of you you really think that you're you know immortal and indispensable and you can do anything without really any grave consequences and this was all new territory for me because I was, yeah, this kid always following the rules. And I made some choices in my 20s that really kind of took my life off the rails. And in the midst of that, I actually, you know, dated and married a, a friend from the university we both attended and we were married young. And so by the time I got to 30, you guys, I'm looking back at that decade going, what just happened here? This is not... where life is supposed to be here at age 30. I was divorced, not by my choosing. And unfortunately, my husband at that time had an affair when we were apart in grad school. And I felt super betrayed and wounded from that. And then it's like all of a sudden out of nowhere, the work that I was doing while he was in, in his graduate degree work, I got called to interview and just move from Colorado to Maryland. And I'm like, wow, what is this? Why am I going from, you know, Colorado to Maryland? And it was a totally unsolicited job opportunity for me to move at the time that my then husband was um, announcing that he was going to divorce me right after we, you know, invested four years of grad school together. So being blindsided and feeling betrayed at that time, I just was like, wow, this must be God leading me to a whole new beginning, a new place. And so I had in my mind, okay, I'm going on this sojourn or adventure, you know, to be with God and to pursue God and get back into relationship with God. And when I got out to Maryland for this new beginning, I found myself really for the first time in my life, very, very alone, (laughs) bewildered, if you will, and just like in a very deep, dark kind of place of despair and I probably was in some form of depression that I just didn't know what that was because before that leading up to that I never really was a depressed or sad person I've just always been full of joy and full of hope and at this point in my life I've looked back and gone okay I've I my first marriage has just failed let me go back to the the period where you, you just kind of felt like you were 
in a situation where you felt maybe depressed or hopeless, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think mm-hmm. that was a function of having always been the person that wanted to do good and do right and, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and, and do things, not be in trouble and, mm-hmm. and kind of toe the line. This was the, was the yeah. first time that kind of everything in your life had fallen apart and it looked like yeah. outside looking in, it looked like maybe you had, you'd failed at that. Like this is what's going yeah. on. And so to kind of reconcile, mm-hmm the pieces of the broken life and to go, this mm-hmm. isn't, this isn't what I planned, you know? Right. That's, I thank you for, that's exactly how I was feeling at the time that I couldn't understand or associate my current reality with who I had, you know, grown up to be or was raised to be in terms of everything falling into place. And it literally, yes, everything had fallen apart. And so I didn't recognize myself or my life other than, well, here I am out here (laughs) on my own. And this isn't where I thought things would be at the age of 30. I bet that was probably a a bit of an allure to have a clean slate, move out of the area, be be mm-hmm. out, out of a situation where you had to see your soon to be ex husband or ex husband at this particular mm-hmm. point, and so to, to kind mm-hmm. of clean the slate, move to a new area, have a new life, a new beginning. Yeah, I I, I definitely think that, and I think that really resonated with this curiosity and adventure and kind of imagination I always had as a kid that everything's going to be okay and work out. At least I wanted to believe that. But in my emotional state and spiritual state, I was just like drifting. I was just really bereft going, okay, I'm trying to be hopeful, but I really need an anchor here. And I don't know what happened to my anchor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be mom and dad or my brothers, or all the things that were familiar to me growing up. It's like, I'm really out here on the fringe and it's just me and you, God. And I'm looking for you. I'm chasing after you. I'm coming after you. I'm coming to find you. And, um, you know, you better show up for me. Kind of like, I wasn't like I was attitudinal, but it was like, I'm, I'm searching for you, God. You could, you could label me a God chaser at that point. Like, I was serious about chasing after God to go, what happened here to get back in touch with being in a place where I felt more certain or more stable from yeah. what you just said, Sean, of the yeah. things that I was familiar with. I'm like in totally unfamiliar territory. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and so you, uh, before I interrupted you, you talked about, you know, some sort mm-hmm. of a, of a surprise, some sort of an event yeah. that happened. Yeah. So right after I had graduated from college and before that marriage, I looked around and saw that so many other of my friends and graduates starting in a single life we're having just a great deal of fun and I felt like I had lived such a kind of straight strict you know rules abiding life that I was missing on some fun and I you know I went out and did what everyone did at that age I went to clubs I drank I partied I just you know did, did the life if you will as a single professional and I had made a promise to myself that I was going to stay pure for marriage because that's just what you do as a a Christian girl as you want to, you know, save yourself for your husband. And I was so kind of proud of myself that I had gotten through college with that, but I felt like I was missing out. And so I, you know, fell into the culture, fell into just life with everyone and wanting to do what they were doing. And here I was becoming very um, sexually active, promiscuous, and really kind of endangering myself. And lo and behold, I'm finding myself having uh, unplanned pregnancies one after the other, not protecting myself or just just being reckless and selfish. And 
instead of really owning up to the responsibility of what I was doing, I allowed my doctor to help me through this period of, you know, deciding, okay, well, I don't, I'm not actually practicing safe sex or birth control right now. I'm just being reckless. And she said, well, I can help you take care of that because, it's just tissue, okay? It's not a baby. It's not a life. And you're so early and we can take care of that and you'll be fine and you won't have any, you won't be harming your ability to have children when the time comes. So I'm believing what my doctor is telling me that I just need to take care of this so that life can go on. And I had an abortion and I continued to do what I was doing and I had the second abortion. And I felt myself changing and dying. I felt parts of me really dying after the second one, especially. The first one was like, well, based on what my doctor's telling me, it's like me going to the dentist or going to have a medical procedure and it's just going to be that and it's going to be taken care of. And that's how I viewed it. But after the second one, I felt completely different and just spirit, everything. Something's really wrong here. I'm missing a part of me. And then there was a third and final abortion that came at the time that my then husband and I were engaged to be married. And we felt ashamed and embarrassed as good church-going religious kids that we could absolutely not walk down the aisle pregnant. So we mutually agreed that we would abort that baby and wait until we were married. And, you know, sometimes I ask myself, if he and I had not made that decision and we had really honored the life of that child we created, would it be possible that we would still be married today? Yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but it always comes to mind. So those three things, those three choices in the recklessness and the hurt of abortion I did not know what kind of waterfall effect that would have on me emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and even physically, just bringing me to that place of, okay, I'm moving out of state at 30, and as I reflect on my decade of my 20s, I have really harmed myself by some really bad decisions, and I just didn't know the full extent of that other than I am feeling very sad and very much in a pit of despair, and I don't know why. And I was just disconnected from the grief of, of that and the loss of that. I, I was just clueless, um, you guys, from the selfishness of those decisions at that point in my life. I can, so I when can... I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was just I was just going to say, you know, first of all, number one, um, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability to share what you shared and to discuss it and to be candid about it. Mm-hmm. And I know why you're doing that. And I and I know how you can do it. I know that God's coming alongside you and holding you. Mm-hmm. And I know you've done a lot mm-hmm. of work to get to mm-hmm. a place where you can share like you're sharing. And I think the reason... Mm-hmm that you are able to share is that you do want some good to come out of this. You do want something positive mm-hmm. to come out of this. And I do believe God takes all of our 
you know, let's call it less than optimal decisions that we've made in our life. And some of them can be Mm -hmm. really, really catastrophic decisions. And I think he tries Mm -hmm. to squeeze the maximum possible benefit available out of those decisions. And so Mm -hmm. I just, I have some questions because I know that there's going Mm -hmm. to be uh, people that may have felt the same way that you felt because of the same types of decisions. And so when you, when Mm. you, when you look back, number one question, did your husband know about the other two prior to you guys agreeing that you were going to have the third? No, I, I kept each decision as my own private secret. Nobody knew um, about those abortions except him on the, the third one. And it was really just, between me and the Lord. I didn't tell my parents, my best friend, my brothers, no one knew. I I held it in. And I was surprised at what you said that your doctor had said to you. Do you now, reflecting back on that time, on those conversations, feel like, you know, your doctor maybe oversimplified it? You know, I feel like today, if that were to happen, there'd be a lot more counseling, a lot more discussion, you know, relative to that. But it just seemed like it was almost an oversimplification. It almost made it easy and excusable for you to, Jen shaking her head, you know, did that strike you the same way? The way that the doctor had said, well, it's just tissue. I can help you with that. You know, no big deal. Yeah. 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 She did trivialize it it, as though it was just a medical procedure. And I believe the lie because I wasn't looking at it as though it was a living human in me that I had created. I was just that naive and selfish and wanting to have a quick solution and a quick fix to go on with life the way I was doing life then. You know, a very duality in terms of being the good Christian girl, (laughs) you know, trying to live right by God, but really not obviously having a true relationship with God if I was, I felt like being easily deceived that way and, and giving in. Now, at the time, did you, were you prayerful about it? I mean, or did you just shun God Mm-mm. at that time just because you knew what you wanted to do? You knew what you had to do oh, and didn't yeah, want, didn't was, want to acknowledge the relationship with him at that moment because you, you knew what you were doing wasn't maybe what he would want you to do. That's, that's it. I was totally disconnected and did not realize I was in darkness in terms of my own selfishness and kind of the flesh, you know, taking over to take care of something. So I really believed the lie and just swallowed it hook, line and sinker at that time because I wanted to, I wanted to go on with life without you know, the consequences of, you know, my actions. Mm-hmm. So w- what was the, describe for us what the effect was. So you're, you're 30s now, you're, you're in a completely different city. Yeah. You're looking back over yeah. your 20s, you go, my, my marriage is done, no fault of my own. I love my husband, but yet, yet he had an affair. You know, describe what the, what the situation was that you were going through at that time. I definitely felt hurt and felt abandoned and just felt like despair, like I was deeply hurting and grieving and I didn't really know why I was feeling all of that hurt and grief. And it was this cascading of the loss and the grief that comes with abortion and the act of abortion that I think 
girls that age or younger, like we are not in touch maybe completely with our emotions or ourselves at that time. And it just comes over you like a wave out of nowhere. Like, why am I so sad? Why am I hurting? And why do I feel completely out of touch with myself or my body? And it has to do with that spiritual, physical death of life that you have canceled, you know, through an abortion. And I just, didn't know what I didn't know in terms of the aftershock and uh, what they say is really PTSD when you make a decision to abort a child. I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's not excusing my decision at all. I just didn't know how that would flow out and repercussions to me, um, you know, to your question, Sean. Yeah, thank so you. I'm in a pit. I'm in a deep, dark pit of going, where am I? Lord, please beam me up to heaven now. I just want to get out of here. I'm hurting. This is a mean, dark, hard world, and I don't want to be here anymore. So I was probably even crying out to God to take me now and crying out in distress for God help me. And that was probably a suicidal cry, but I'm not going to claim that it was at the time because I, I knew I wasn't going to take my life, but I was just so deeply, deeply distraught by the hurt and everything that I was just crying out to God. And then that's where I want to tell you where <laughs> he met me and I met him in that moment in terms of a deeper connection and uh, an aha uh let me remind you, Melody, who you are and who I made you to be in that moment. And it's it's connected to a scripture that I've been walking with for, yeah, 20 some odd years now. <laughs> That's made perfect sense for the joy and the hope and the courage that God has, you know, woven into me after those events. Um, because yeah. even more, more tragedy would come after all that. Um, you guys, like there was more ahead of me that I didn't even know was coming. <laughs> that well, God was putting me in a place of pause and say, "I want you to read this scripture and let's um, let's let's uh, let's park here on this scripture so that you know who I am and you can know who I see you as as my child." Well, before we get to that, I I, I just want to acknowledge that I I think going back to that situation that you're in, I, I think we can all relate to periods of, of our life when we felt despair, felt hopelessness. And yeah, you weren't exactly, you weren't going to take your life, but I, I can analogize that you wouldn't have been necessarily unhappy had your life been taken. And, and the, just that pain, mm-hmm. that, that, that yeah. feeling, you just, you just want to numb it. For me in my yeah. life, when I would experience that type of adversity or challenge, I would, I would use alcohol, you know, I'd go to alcohol mm-hmm. to try to numb it and, and mm-hmm. just take that away because I didn't want to feel because it was too difficult to feel. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to, mm-hmm. to, to feel anything. I just wanted to be numb because the feeling mm-hmm. meant pain. And so I think that that's probably yeah. the situation that you're in and, and the enemy, if you mm-hmm. believe in God, you've got to believe in the enemy and the enemy wants yeah. to deceive, lie, kill, steal, all those things. And so he would like yeah. nothing more than you to wallow in misery, wallow in hopelessness, wallow in despair based on 
decisions that you had made previous in your life, held captive mm-hmm. by the guilt, mm-hmm. held captive by the remorse and, and the pain yeah. of those. He, he wanted you to, to be stifled and to, and to be put down and to be, you know, in mm-hmm. that uh, hopelessness. And so let, let's talk about that scripture. Let's talk about when God met you. So that's the moment, in yeah. my opinion, of your hope story. That's the, the moment yeah. hope entered <laughs> your life. And so let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, so in the middle of, you know, one early morning, and I was set out to really, you know, counseling and grief support and things like that in terms of the divorce that had happened and just knowing how much, yeah, sadness and, and um, pain I was feeling. So I, I had that taking place, but in the middle of the night, like I would have nights where I couldn't sleep. I was just so, yeah, just so torn up and restless that um, really hard to have a full night's sleep. And this one night, like, early in the morning it just like just woke me up like out of nowhere I just saw like this kind of neon flashing scripture on my forehead which I don't you know, that's not a normal event for me it's like <laughs> hey Melody wake up right now and go read Isaiah 54 like right now read it and I'm going um I don't even know where Isaiah is the Bible Lord but I'm going I'm going so I'm like going over it, flipping and trying to find my Bible and open it up to Isaiah 54 that passage is really about God speaking to the Israelite nation through the prophet of Isaiah and, you know, entering into a covenant of peace with them and reminding them of his peace and comfort, compassion. And even though they're stubborn, they're obstinate and, you know, uh, really hard headed and keep, you know, sinning and but he's reminding them that, you know, I am your, husband, your maker, and so forth. But that scripture opens up with, seeing, O barren woman, you who have never born a child. And I just felt this bolt go through my heart, like he was saying, I know what you did, and I know you haven't born a child, but you guys, I was just 30, so I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to be barren because I have still my life in front of me to be able to have children, right, God? So as I'm reading through the scripture and all these promises he's making about, you will bear no more the shame of your widowhood. You will bear no more the reproach of being rejected as a young wife. You will train up our children in righteousness and no weapon forms against you shall prosper. And there's like just all these tons of promises and, and affirmations that God is making to the Israelites. Okay. But I'm reading this literally like, I'm having a conversation with God at four o'clock in the morning and he's telling me, this is who I am, Melody, and this is who you are. I'm your husband and your maker and you don't need to feel shame or reproach. You'll you know you won't be rejected and and it's 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 sinking in, but it's also awakening me to the fact that God is really becoming personal to me for the first time in my life and that I want to covenant with him and commit to him the ability to trust and have faith that everything he's saying right here really does apply to me, even though it applied to the Israelites years ago. He's really speaking to me through the scripture to bring me to a place of comfort and peace and trust in him. And I can't tell you from that moment and that experience with him And all the things now in 25 years retrospect, the other things that came at me in terms of storms and 
betrayals and abuse and loss and just all the things that life brought at me in these last 25 years, guess where I would run to? Back to that (laughs) scripture to remind myself that, yep, God said this and God said that and he covenanted that with me and I believe it. You know, I held on to that so tightly in that first encounter with him and it did give me courage, you know, to keep moving forward. It gave me, it, you know, it reignited my hope and expectation that as I kept moving forward and kept making decisions that would put God first, that they would be blessed, you know, that he would keep moving me forward. It gave you hope. Yeah, it gave me like this. He pulled me up out of this feeling of complete darkness and despair that I was in and said, I got you, girl. I, I really got you, and I want you to know that. And yeah, even though you've been hard-headed, you've been stubborn, you've resisted, you know, even my, you know, discipline, um, hey, I will not be angry with you ever again. I will show compassion upon you. And yep, you're going to have storms, you're going to be tossed around, but no weapon formed against you will prosper. And it's just all these, yeah, reassurances of I know who I am in in the Lord, and I know who God is telling me I am to Him. And it it did it pulled me like I was feeling like I was on a thin thread, and I just felt completely pulled up out of that well. And I I never chased anything but that scripture and God for the reminders and just the reassurances I would need over the next two and a half decades of going through more loss, you know, job loss, relationship loss, betrayal, just all the things in this brokenness of this world that comes at you. And even through some of my own, you know, decisions that you know, were decisions that would create more brokenness in my life because we're all like imperfect. <laughs> so we're like, yes. I'm like, okay, I just didn't just didn't get it that time, but I'll try again, Lord. And and just his gentleness with me and his grace and mercy through these years. And so what I wanna get to with that is I never told my secret. I never told my deep dark secret about those abortions. To anyone until three summers ago and it just spilled up and out over a lunch conversation with a friend at my church because she was brave in her sharing of why she was involved in pro-life ministry and helping young women to make decisions for life to keep their babies and she asked me if I knew about these pro-life centers and things and what they did and I said, I've never looked in that direction, honestly. I don't like the word clinic. I don't look at those billboards that have abortion and things on them. I just kind of turn my head. I don't even want to look at it or face it or hear about it. And she goes, oh, wow. So you haven't really, like, resolved something there. Like, what's going on? And then I told her my secret. It just kind of bubbled up and over. That had to have been a flood of emotion. That had to have been just a flood of emotion that came out of you at that time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just told somebody for the first time, and it's been uh, over 30 years. And I can't believe I just told somebody what I thought I would take to my grave with me. 
just between me and God. And when I told her, she said, you, how about if I introduce you to um, the local director of the pregnancy center and you, you really need to meet her. I'm like, okay, <laughs> really didn't want to. And I felt like if anyone else knew that I would just be walking around my church with this scarlet letter on my, you know, sweater. And so she, she did, um, she, that Sunday at worship, she's like, Hey, I want to go and introduce you because let me tell you something after you and I had lunch melody on Friday, I don't ever pull over to fresh market and pick up deli items. But that day I did. And guess who was at the deli counter? The person I'm going to introduce you to right now. <laughs> was David here? Uh, I'm like, yes, that's a God job. Okay, that's God's like that. timing right that's, there. That's God's confirmation. That's God's timing. Yeah. So you're going to meet her. I'm like, okay. So she takes me up to meet this director of the local pregnancy clinic. And um, Janet puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, hey, Melody, how are you doing? It's so nice to meet you. And so um, you have a story you want to share? And I just started bawling. And I went, oh, no, now I have to tell someone else. Ah, you know, and so I just looked at her and I said, um, Janet, I didn't have just one. I had more than one. And it's horrible what I did. And she said, Melody, will you let God use that? He wants to use all of that. Will you let him? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm here. And she said, this is going to be a journey, but this is your time to help other women, you know, break free from their secret and their chains of not having said anything about their abortion or abortion. They need to break free. And so I would go through a, a ministry class study called Surrendering the Secret, the eight-week study in preparation for going into ministry work to be an advocate and mentor to women coming into the crisis pregnancy center to be counseled and given medical um help and information, sonograms, like kind of a full medical clinic with the counseling and the support to help them to choose life and to make the right decision in God's eyes. So guys, um, every time I was in that room as an advocate and mentor with the girl coming in in crisis, guess who I was looking at and facing? Me, yeah. <laughs> I kept facing me in my twenties with those girls one by one by one, and I would feel like I would have to be their savior and save them and their baby. And I would say, "Lord, please work here. Please get me out of the way, and please speak to them, and please rescue them and this child, so that they don't go over the same cliff I went over at their age." It's the Holy Spirit's work when that's happening. And there were girls who, you know, gave their life to the Lord and made a decision for life to keep their baby. And the dads of the babies were involved in that. And just some beautiful, redemptive moments of seeing these girls, you know, overcome their fear. And I'm like, gosh, you guys are so brave and so courageous. I wish I'd been you at that age. But, you know, I was 
I was struck by fear. I was struck by the culture. I was struck by what my doctor was telling me that was, you know, easy for my ears to hear at the time. And um, so it, it just, it was, um, it was, uh, the work was hard, but very healing and just holy work to see God move and these girls making decisions to keep their babies and just how I'm like, Lord, you would even allow me to be a part of this after what I did, you know, thank you, you know, for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of these girls' lives and their decisions to save their babies. Oh my gosh. That, that's, let me, let me, let me, let me just, let me just say, number one, thank you again for, for sharing. Thank you for that vulnerability, because I think that it, it really speaks to the significance of the decision and in the weight of a decision like that. But it also speaks mm. to the faithfulness of God, the grace and the mercy mm. of God yeah. that it took, you know, like off the line, you and I talked about this, that, that, you know, Paul wrote, you know, what half of the new Testament and, yeah. you know, Paul used to be Saul, Saul prosecuted Christians, Saul murdered Christians. Yeah. And so it's yeah. just amazing to me what what God will allow to happen if we seek him, if we seek his counsel, mm. if we seek his mm. restoration. And, um, you yeah. know, to have you be in a situation now where you can mentor, where you can speak into, where you can, with, with emotion and, and with grace mm-hmm. and with understanding and with empathy, speak to somebody that's in that situation i i can imagine Mm -hmm. it to be cathartic to your point you are speaking to Mm -hmm. yourself from 25 (laughs) years ago you know and 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 trying to make a difference trying to help somebody make the best decision possible out of out of the situation Mm -hmm. they're dealing with you know Mm -hmm. amen and and it's it is amazing because uh it's amazing to see how the lord works and moves in those lives and there's something that I wanted to share just um, that I think will be very telling about the population of women in the church that have not felt safe enough or the ability yet to share that kind of a secret where God can use it redemptively the way that he has with my life. I think it's about a 40 to 43% ratio of women in the church who have had abortions that they've not spoken about or not been able to share for fear of judgment and for fear of, you know, further pain. And even in this ministry class that I was able to go through called Surrendering the Secret, and it is nationwide. It's a beautiful ministry in case, you know, anyone's listening wants to check it out, Surrendering the Secret. In that study, the age range of the women who were coming forward to talk about their abortion for the first time, the youngest woman was age 28. And her abortion was just as recent as like in the prior year, year and a half. The oldest woman in the group was 72 and she had held the secret of her abortion in her twenties that long. And I was blown away by that, that it's a wide range of women, young women and older women who are not feeling like they can share or talk about it 
for fear of the label of, okay, now I'm this post-aborted woman and that's my label for my lifetime and I don't want that label. And I'm just, I'm just going to be real and say that's how I felt. It might have been my ego or my pride feeling like, okay, Lord, you, you've redeemed my mistake into a mission now and a mission of mercy. But you didn't, he didn't stop there. He moved me further into now my work is really involved in evangelism with children. And so if you look at the scripture in Isaiah 54, and it talks about how this woman is going to train up children in righteousness, and your sons and daughters will be taught in righteousness. And I'm, I'm in a place with God looking at that going, Lord, I don't have any children. I mean, I'm, I'm helping and working with these young women, but I don't, what do you mean by me training up sons and daughters in righteousness? He says, I want you to go now and you're going to help with sharing the gospel and evangelizing children. So right now I'm with um, a ministry that is, basically working with children ages 5 to 12 to share the good news of Jesus with them. And so it's another step in terms of this um, living out or have this, this scripture really almost fully scripting my life story um, since that first moment of encountering it at the age of 30. And here I am. Yes, I have not born a child. Um I'm not currently married. I would like to be able to be married and have a partner um, in in life. And I'm trusting the Lord with that desire in my heart. But where he has me now is all focused on the children and bringing them to Jesus and with women and girls to help them along their journey and their story if they're going through something that is a crisis decision to make a decision that would be pleasing to the Lord, like a, you know, a courageous and hopeful decision. So, that's incredible. That's just uh, a, that's just an I, incredible story of redemption, Melody, to redemption, ha- yeah. have you be in a situation I, where he's redeemed you and gave you that promise mm-hmm. that you look back over your life and, and Isaiah 54, that scripture, that promise mm-hmm. that you've lived your life mm-hmm. that way and um, honored him in the process and now are in a situation where you're able to speak into others. And, you know, that's, that's what I was talking mm-hmm. about when we began the show, that maximum possible mm-hmm. extracting the maximum possible good out yeah. of, you know, very, very challenging and, um, mm-hmm. you know, upsetting decisions. And so like, I feel compelled mm-hmm. right now. I want to, I want to ask you uh, two things. Number one, mm-hmm. Relative to somebody that has made that same decision that is saddled Mm -hmm. with that secret, Mm -hmm. that guilt, Mm -hmm. that that deep down, you know, I'm not going to share this secret because of fear of the label, fear of judgment, etc. I want you Mm -hmm. to speak to that person. Somebody listening is going to be Mm -hmm. that person. What would you say to that person? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say to you that please be gentle and patient with yourself because the Lord is gentle and patient with you, that you were bought for a price and that you are highly valued, highly favored, 
worthy of Christ on the cross, and that means that God is not finished with your story. It's just getting started <laughs> in terms of how God is going to take what you feel is a mess of guilt and shame and regret and really turning it into something that is going to be a beautiful masterpiece because he makes masterpieces. He created us in his image, right? Um, to be light and to be love and to really live in the fullness of his mercy and his grace. And these were just things that I didn't feel like I could accept that, you know, we, we've been given this gift of grace through Christ and his, um, crucifixion in his resurrection, that this is God's ultimate gift to us to be in relationship with him. And, um, please don't refuse that. Don't refuse the opportunity to receive this beautiful gift to be fully known and to be fully accepted for the great worth and value that you are to God. Yeah, don't 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 believe because the lie that the enemy would tell you that that yeah. that because you made that decision that you are yeah. no longer able to have a personal relationship with God. Don't believe that right. lie. Don't don't believe that you're right. not worthy. Don't believe that you can't right. be spiritual. Don't believe you can't have a thriving one-on-one yeah. relationship one. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't walk away. And that's the other thing I I know that we're so capable of is when we feel the shame and the guilt that we are we tend to isolate and pull back and draw away even from the people that we're closest to who God has put in our lives to help us draw closer to God and to just don't walk away or go in reverse, you know, even like lean in and like push in towards God rather than do what, you know, your feelings or your moods or, you know, your flesh would say to you. It's almost like reverse psychology or kind of like, you know, yeah. like uh, you, you have to press in and pursue God in those moments where the pain and the doubt and the regret would have you just run completely the opposite direction. You know, it's just our human nature. Well said. Well said. Now, I one last question. I want you to imagine mm-hmm. that there's somebody listening that is contemplating that decision. They have not yet made mm-hmm. that decision yet, mm-hmm. but they're in a situation where they feel like they might make a decision to terminate a pregnancy. What would you say to that mm-hmm. person? Oh, gosh. Um, it is so important when you're contemplating a decision um, like that and you're in crisis and in fear that you choose the first best place to turn to for all of the resources and options that you can have to make the best decision. So my encouragement is please, please call the local pro-life, you know, resource center for women. Uh, Go to a center that is not a focus on abortion, but that their entire services are for your options to educate you, to come around you, and to do everything um, medically, you know, um, excellent for you and to help you to not feel alone. I think that was my greatest, you know, mistake is 
in crisis, we can feel alone because the fear just overcomes every, you know, (laughs) reasoning thought and you have to kind of gut it out or go through it by yourself that no one can come through with you. So pursue the, the best, you know, pregnancy resource center in the area that is focused on you and, and, and helping you. And I pray that you have a friend, a best friend, or even the person that is the father of the baby to come with you. And I, I guess in my experiences in the clinic where I worked for almost two years, it might be 50-50 where the, the girl that is in crisis either has the dad of the baby with her or she's there on her own. And you simply want someone with you if you can have someone with you who's an advocate and for you. I hope that that helps. Uh, that, yeah. I think that helps a lot. And, and I just, number one, I just continue to be just amazed at your vulnerability and your willingness to to share openly and I know that that's been God working in you all of these years mm-hmm. through these tough situations mm-hmm. through trial and tribulation but through your faithfulness mm-hmm. through your coveting of mm-hmm. his guidance and his word to to have him use your situation as a lamp a light post of hope to somebody else to let them know that mm-hmm. they are not held captive by the guilt of of a decision that they made so long ago that they cannot and yeah. will not be held captive by God for that decision and that they seek him mm-hmm. and that they that they recognize that Christ's blood covers all of their transgressions, each and every one. You do not need to live a life full of guilt for the rest of your life. Right, right. And Sean, I think I forgot to say the word that is so important is just the forgiveness. It's so, this is something that um, I didn't realize about my own acceptance of God's forgiveness of me. And I think that sometimes that's much easier for us women, girls, to accept that gift of forgiveness from God, and it's harder to forgive ourselves for what we've done. And so God is like really calling out to you and pleading with you to say, hey, my forgiveness is more than enough. (laughs) So let go of your own um, guilt and shame, you know, and and forgive yourself. That's, That's the hardest hurdle, I think, for a woman's heart is is forgiving herself for that decision. And like you said, how Jesus's blood covers all of it yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's all covered. It's before and you are free. Christ to really exercise that freedom, move forward. Melody, thank you so much. I mean, this has just been an incredible just incredible show, an incredible opportunity to fellowship with you, to come alongside you and to, and to hear your story. I, I just can't thank you enough for sharing and for your truth and for your wisdom, for your experience, for your life lessons, for your vulnerability. It's just been um, very, very moving, very, very God honoring, in my opinion. Like this conversation right now, I feel in my spirit is confirmation of his desire to have Jen and I do this Hope Radio podcast. I really feel Mm -hmm. in my spirit that good things will come out of this conversation. And this is an example Mm -hmm. of the type of conversation that he was looking to uh, have us have on the Hope Radio Mm -hmm. podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much for your truth. Mm 
Oh, thank you guys very much for this conversation with you and just for your hearts with what you're doing and um, for the safe place that you allow people to share, you know, what God is um, doing in their lives. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's just very humbling to, to be able to share with you. So thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Jen, what did you think of our interview with Melody? That was a heavy subject. You know, it was a it was a heavy subject, but it's so so appropriate. Yeah. I mean, how many how many people out there, how many women out there are just struggling mm-hmm. with this shame, with remorse, with guilt, with you know, yeah, embarrassment yeah. over um, a decision to have an abortion, and yeah. and I think that. You know, I just think it's really, really necessary for people to understand that if that happens, if you, if you did that, if you made that decision, mm-hmm. that does not, from that point on, ruin your life. It does no. not, you, you should not let that taint everything else that happens in your life. Right. Like, I worry that somebody that has done that feels like they can't have a relationship with God or that they can't, right. you know, thrive moving mm-hmm. forward or that they're going to feel like, oh, I deserve to have bad things happen to me because yeah. look what look what I did. Right. You know, like that, just that immense heaviness, that guilt and that shame over, mm-hmm. that, over that action. And, um, you know, here's what I know. Jesus' blood covers it all. Yes. It covers, the, the, you, there's no... There's no delineage of sin. In other no. words, you know, lying or or um, miss whatever example you mm-hmm. want to give mm-hmm. of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no grading of it. Right. So, like like Christ's blood covers it all, and I just want people to know that they're forgiven, that it's okay. That you know, I think Melody did a great job of yeah, sharing that. She did. I felt like she she harbored a lot of of uh, maybe remorse right. over that over those decisions and. And it's just nice to see her, God redeeming her, mm-hmm. bringing her in to where she can now work with kids and work with uh, girls that are in that situation. I know. I, I had no pl- I had no idea that there was a place you can go to or, you know, counseling. And yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And what also she had talked about is the, the 74-year-old that held on to it for so yeah. long, like... Wow, like I wonder how many years that she was just, you know, like that just yeah. ate, ate at her. I mean, and, and it can. I mean, it, right. it can consume you. It's it's one of those yeah. things that just festers, I think, and it's it's under the surface of everything mm-hmm. and it affects your quality of life and yeah. I, and you are forgiven. It's okay. You know, that's what people right. need to know. So at 74, she shows up to these meetings and finally is able to tell her secret. Yeah. So it's like she's set free. Yeah. Melody, from us to you, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your courage to come on and share. You know, I, I just think it's evidence of, of God really redeeming you in your life. And I hope anybody that's listening that is feeling the same way or felt similarly to you, that they take that message, that they learn from your message, that they learn from your truth, and that they work toward overcoming, you know, that, uh, that shame, that fear, that guilt, yeah. et cetera. Absolutely. All right, Jen, if people want to hear more of the podcast, uh, we encourage them to like and subscribe, right? If of they're course. listening right now, obviously they came to, to, to hear it some if, platform. If they've made it this far, they obviously like us. So hit the subscribe button, like, subscribe, leave us a review. Yeah. On Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Just say hi. 
just say hi. Yeah, you can connect with us on social media at Hope Radio Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. Right. And here's what I think we should do, Jen. I think mm-hmm. we should do another one. I think that was so powerful. I felt so yeah. good about that interview and what she was able to do. I think we should do another one. I think I'm here. I'm available. Are you? Let's do it. I'm going to book you for tomorrow. Okay. Here we go. <laughs>